Welcome to the Balanced Being Podcast with Guni Sodi. Your life made simple. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Balanced Being Podcast. It is May 10th today, and I'm not sure if we're going to be able to get this out, obviously, in time for, for Mother's Day or even have it coincide with, with the day. But it's, I just wanted to take the time out and just say that, you know, we are recording on Mother's Day, and I'm incredibly grateful for my mom and all the mothers out there. And my guest today is also somebody that I'm incredibly grateful to have on. I'm, I'm incredibly honored to. Her name is Dr. Jessica Petros. We got to know each other about a year now, I think. And yeah. she's just an amazing MD. But what really attracted me to Dr. Jessica is her perspective and her way of looking at things and her way of looking at the patient, which really coincides and really kind of is in alignment with how my father, as a, as a naturopathic and Ayurvedic doctor in Washington State, just really understanding the individual as an individual. I follow her Instagram. My, my wife actually told me to, hey, you got to connect with her. She's awesome. She's doing great work. And I just think you guys will resonate. We've had conversations in the past. And I just had to bring Dr. Jess on to the podcast to provide value to the community and a little bit about Dr. Jess. And then, you know, Jeff, Dr. Jess, feel free to kind of plug in wherever I missed she is state medical board certified in the state of California. She's board certified in internal medicine. She worked as a hospitalist for six years before getting functional training, which is amazing. I love it. She's super smart, by the way, as well. But you know, I'll let her get into the magna cum laude and everything like that as well. She's trained in ozone therapy, garrison therapy, former medical director of Adventist Hospital in Oregon. And she's an expert in cannabis, CD, CBD, and stealth infections. And what I am really interested in, in Lyme and mold. So without further ado, Dr. <laughs> Jess, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for especially joining us on this day. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I'm honored. And thanks for the, the warm welcome as well. And happy Mother's Day out there to all the moms as well. Even if this is a little, a little late, um, we want to get that sentiment out there for sure, both of us. Dr. Jess, it's so interesting when I was really kind of doing my research and reading more about you. And even in our conversations, you know, perhaps we really didn't get a chance to really get to know each other. But what really resonated with me was your story growing up and what really connected with me, because I also grew up in a household of doctors and practitioners. And I honestly did not understand the gratefulness that I now have for what they were doing and how I was inspired subconsciously at a very early age. But now, I'm doing a lot of the work that perhaps I'm not, I'm not a doctor, but I'm doing the work that like, you know, I love to help people as well. But your story, both sides, both parents, and especially the incident, I would love for you to get into that because it connects so much with me and I think it's mm -hmm. going to connect with the audience. Yeah. So it, it really, I think was very, very integral to me choosing medicine and, and health as a whole. I really had parents who talked a lot about health growing up. My dad had gotten a two-year technical degree and had worked his way up in the hospital where I grew up in West Virginia and was head of nuclear medicine. He was not a physician. Um, no one in my immediate family is, but my mother worked at a competing hospital down the road as a dietitian. And so I grew up not having sugary sweets or sodas or anything like that. My mom really cut up fruit for us. The most she would do is maybe put a little, sprinkle a little sugar on the fruit sometimes. Mm. But I grew up really 
eating whole foods and, and my family cooked and had meals together. And my sister, all of us actually, all my siblings end up in healthcare. My sister works in risk management as, at, at a hospital. My brother's an ICU traveling nurse. Mm. And then there's me. And so it was a big influence on me growing up. I can remember going to the hospital and to see my dad and knocking on the nuclear medicine door and it had a big you know, triangle warning that said radiation on it. He would come to the door and say, hold on, Jess, I got to turn it off <laughs> so you can come in. I just grew up in hospitals. It was just sort of a second home for me because of that. I'd go have lunch with my mom at work at the hospital cafeteria. It was just something we did. And so that was, um, I was always interested in health. Um, interestingly enough, also broadcast journalism was, at, was my first major. And so I really hadn't decided what I wanted to do, um, but I was in a car accident when I was 17. Right. And it was a bad car accident, actually. Uh, we all broke our backs. We rolled the car. Wow. Yeah. And I was in the passenger seat. I was the least injured. And I was the only one that didn't have to have surgery. Oh Everyone else wow. had to have surgery and rods and screws put in their back and really stabilized so that their spine would heal normally. I was, like I said, the least hurt. And I still had to wear a back brace. Kind of thick plastic. If you guys haven't seen these, they go from your waist or actually your hip, the top of your hip, all the way to your, to your shoulder. And they mm. Velcro, they have Velcro straps, on, one on the top and on the shoulders and three on the waist. And so I had been instructed to wear this even when I was in the shower. I could only take it off at night when I was lying down. And, wow. you know, when you're 17, I mean, you're going to school, you kind of look sort of like a linebacker with that <laughs> thing on. People are like, well, is that a turtle shell? What's happening? It's a really awkward age to have something like that happen. I mean, but I, I still, I don't want to say too much about that because I'm really grateful because I was least hurt. And so, yeah. And, you know, everybody else had to, like I said, had to have surgery. And so, and one girl was paralyzed from the wow. waist down and still is. Wow. And so, yeah, I'm very grateful. And it changed the course of our life, that accident. And really, really interesting about, man, I think it was probably 18 years later, the neurosurgeon that had worked on all of us ended up passing away from a car accident on a car accident on that same road when he was, became a quadriplegic. Wow. So it's very interesting. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so that, that, that accident put me on the course to um, understanding and being interested in health on top of the foundation I had from growing up. It piqued my interest because you always want to know if you're steeped in something or going through something, how you can make it easier on other people as well as yourself. And so, you know, I'll never forget when I, when I got permission and clearance to take that back brace off, I wish I kept it, but I threw it in the neurosurgeon's office trash can. Mm. <laughs> uh, I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, that with the rest is history. I really wanted to find out he was a really good guy and I really wanted to practice like he did. He made me feel comfortable in a really scary situation. And so um, even though Dr. Weinswag is no longer around, I appreciate his mentorship during mm. that time. And you know what's interesting, Dr. Jess, is that when we do look back, I mean, I'm sure when you were going through that, especially at 17 years old, you feel like life has been completely flipped upside down. I remember, you know, when my brother passed, the same thing. But mm -hmm. it's like that Steve Jobs quote, you cannot connect the dots looking forward. You can only do it looking backwards. I know it sounds crazy to some people, but I truly am grateful for the lesson I learned. You know, of, of course, the sadness is, is incredible and the pain is incredible of losing somebody you loved. And I'm sure for you as well, you know, there was so much probably anxiety and the psychological stress that goes with it as well. But 
look at what you're doing now and look what you've been able to do. And, and as you share the words, the gratitude, you know, I mean, you, you were one of the, the few that that was very able to kind of almost, almost walk away and doing some great work now. And I, I really do think a lot of things come back full circle. Yeah, they do. And I feel like, you know, I've connected with those people in the accident since then. And they all say, you know, it happened for a reason. And I, you know, girl who's paralyzed says, you know, I'm, I, she's married and happy and Beautiful. Um, says, you know, this changed the course of my life in a good way. Yeah. And so every day, everything does happen for a reason. Even in the heat of the moment, you really can't see past the, the, the weeds, right? You're yep. in the weeds when you're in the middle of it. It feels awful. These feelings are still fresh. The wound is still open. But later you can look back and say, thank goodness for that bump in the road that felt like I wasn't going to live through it at the time. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So that, that kind of set your, your trajectory to really explore medicine mm -hmm. as a whole. It's kind of interesting to me because everything that I see you sharing on, on even, you know, your social and even following you is much more in alignment, in my opinion, in, in kind of the Eastern philosophies. Mm -hmm. was, was there something that inspired you? And I've had, an, I've had a couple of other people go through the MD training, but still we're like, wait a minute, something is missing. There's a doctor out of Orlando who said, hold on, like, there's something missing here. Like, I want to treat the person. I want to understand the person. He calls it his golden hour, Dr. Jess. He takes a full yeah. hour <laughs> and spends time with the patient, every new patient. Yeah, me and, too. And yeah. An yes. You have yeah. to. Exactly. It was in him. And he came and he studied at Bastyr and he studied mm. with my father. And then, you know, and then he was like, you know what? I feel more like a complete physician now. So Aww. it's always so interesting to me because to me, I grew up with this when, when I was, since I was like, when I, when I could actually ask the questions and figure out. So to me, it's, it's, it's like, no, Doug, honey, come on, <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> right. but, yeah. but, to, but to others, it's, it's like, it's so interesting. What switched with you? You know, that's such a good question. And I don't know if I can give you like a black and white pinpointed answer right. directly. It was an unfolding of change over mm. a few years for me. I can remember even back in medical school when I, I really believed everything they told me. I really did. I believed the science. I believed right. it black and white. I didn't look between lines of the art or who was writing the studies in the back of the book, right? Right. It hidden in plain sight. But I did question when we got to things like immunity and autoimmunity and certain diseases of autoimmunity, I would, you know, they would say, here's what happens in the genes. And they could tell you so much detailed information about the genetics and the pharmacokinetic pathways about the pharmaceuticals that treated that disease. Mm. But then they couldn't tell me where it came from and what the root cause was. They would just be like environmental factors or genes. At a certain point in time, I began, I can remember beginning to question, why is there all this detailed information that we can know scientifically in other areas? And then when it comes down to where did this stem from, we have no information. I did question that. I did say, and I actually asked the professors mm. and they would sort of parrot the same things the book said. And so I was left just like wondering what's this piece of medicine that we haven't fully investigated about. We just are, we just are going to forever not know where things come from and continue right. on this path. Right. So yeah. And then, you know, I got to be a hospitalist. I went through internal medicine and I did that. You know, you're really stuck in the weeds there. You work a lot of hours. You actually work week on, week off, but the week you're on, you're on call responsible for the, for the pager for 12 hours a day. So it's very, very rigorous swing shifts. And you're really stuck in the weeds of like, 
the details of each patient, the, the hours of your day, the paying off of the loans. And when you're stuck in your own weeds like that, it's really hard to see what, if you might be headed in a direction you don't want to head with helping people. Is this really the best avenue to be helping people? And we all took an oath to help people. I had to question that. And in about six years into my hospitalist journey, I, that's when the, the crack started to form. You know, what happened is I really started getting active on social media and people would post things and they would post scientific links um, mm. to things that maybe weren't in JAMA or BMJ or some of the big journals that we right. were used to looking at. Mm-hmm. And so then I would investigate these smaller journals that came out of other countries, which doesn't mean they're any less credible, which a lot of people would want right. you to think so, but that doesn't mean they're any less credible. Yep. And, and so, and, and the cracks were forming at that point. So really it was the, the connectedness of social media that, that asked me to probe a little bit deeper as a physician outside of my lines of comfort of what I had been taught was quote unquote true science. And you know what, what, what kind of uh, I heard in there is also you mentioned earlier your, your career and kind of your, your start in journalism. So I think that was a mm-hmm. pairing and that's what kind of really got you in, into questioning and asking and then really responding appropriately. I know it's kind of hard to answer that question, black and white, but you were also seeking that. What else is there? That's got to be something else. So the same thing. It's so yes. interesting what he was also seeking. So it makes a lot of sense. And, and I absolutely love what you are doing on there. And we'll get to it kind of in a little bit later on, the, on about the social. But I wanted to kind of go more into, you talk about this a lot as well. And then also Ayurveda connects it. My father always talks about it as well. The importance of nutrition, Dr. Jess, and overall health. And so many things we're also learning about COVID-19 and nutrition and metabolic function. When you are, quote unquote, I'm going to use his term, but also going to say you also use the golden hour. So when you are with the patient with that golden hour, how important is nutrition and how much time do you really spend on talking to people about that? It depends. And mm-hmm. it depends on the patient's knowledge and status in their health journey. I'll be honest with you. I think nutrition is extremely important. Mm-hmm. If people come to me and they're early in their health journey, which usually is not the case, by the way, right. if they're early in their health journey, we back up and we cover all the inflammatory foods. I normally don't stick with a, a specific diet for everyone. I think that that's poor science. I think right. that genes and everyone is bio-individual. And a lot of the ancient sciences will show you that, Ayurveda included. We, we should keep diets very individual. and that, So I will adjust and, and tell people remove these inflammatory foods, which are pretty much blanket inflammatory foods for the population. Mm-hmm. And then we may do a little bit of, you know, tweaking based on that, that person's individual needs. But in general, when patients come to me at that point, these people are almost pros. They've seen nine doctors. They've been told mm. they're crazy. They know I they see. have Lyme. And so they have, because they have been forced to remove those inflammatory foods or they can't function. They can't think. They have such severe brain fog. They can't get out of bed. So they have been forced to play around and be experts and investigators about their health just so they can survive. Right. So by the time they come to me, they're almost nutrition experts. <laughs> <laughs> that's, it's, it's that important though. <laughs> absolutely. But that's really interesting. I mean, it, it, and I've seen that with my father's practice. So he, he has now switched over from normal family medicine it, from an ND point of view, an Ayurveda point of view to full oncology. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. I he love is, that. Yeah, and he is, he was, and it still is seeing patients with stage three and four. So 
He's pretty much, awesome. I love him already. That's great. Uh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. You would love to meet him as well. I so. would. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think you guys probably may run into each other at AANP and all the other things if you go and everything like that. So next yeah. time he's there, I'll make sure you guys connect. But but that's the same thing. Yeah. Like when when patients do come to him as well, they also know quite a lot, but he always kind of starts. He, You know, what's funny is he also talks a lot about the emotion. Like, how are your emotions? Yes. And ask them about their history. And so many times he's able to connect certain cancers with emotions, especially anger and, and unresolved oh, yeah. underlying things. So are you able to also see the impact of emotions? Because Ayurveda also, you know, says mind, body, soul. So yes. as if you can start it in the mind, you, the body will follow. And I mm-hmm. believe in that so much. And that's how I got out of my own deep anxiety, deep depression with my brother. But do you also take into that fact when you're, when you're talking to a patient? Yes, absolutely. And I do it in a way so that even if people aren't comfortable understanding that thoughts can lead to disease over time, I do it in a fashion to where it's a little bit more scientific so even skeptics can believe. Mm. I'll, I'll present the adverse childhood event score to them or ACE score. And the ACE score shows that if you have three or more of these, you know, really traumatic childhood events that have happened to you, you have about a 70-80% chance of getting hospitalized for an autoimmune condition. Wow. And so when I present, and I don't really come at people with that fact all the time, I will say, you know, I start my intake form with you by asking you, did you have a happy and healthy childhood? Right, right. And then we go from there. And I even start in grade school, middle school, high school, college years. You know, what diseases? Were you hospitalized? Were you abused ever? Did you have, did you have happy memories? Mm. Had your, you know, all those things. Because I think as our immune systems and brains develop, we are so open to having such triggers form. And that really forms our adult needs and wants and behaviors as a child. So I always address that with patients. And I can always tell the ones who are open and have done the work and are still doing the work and are able to be very vulnerable and upfront with me and can see almost like they've become the observer of their own life. I see a lot of those people and you know what? They're young. I see a 20, I see a young population of 20 to 40 year olds. Wow. Man, they are old souls coming in and just really, really able to talk about the hard things. And so, yes, I absolutely see a connection between that and health, not with every single person. There are outliers and exceptions to that rule, but in general, yes, that plays a big, big portion, 25% of health I do, I feel is due to emotional trauma and abuse. Mm, I, I agree with you. And what you said earlier was like, when those people come in and they're vulnerable, it was me. And when I was done suffering, Dr. Jess, for what I was mm-hmm. going through, that is when I was absolutely ready to change. <laughs> and I've seen it with so many people. I'm like, I would, I would be like, this is not life. It's cannot be like this. I, can, I, I don't wake up every day and feel this crappy and this shitty every day. This can't be right, it. And, right. I, and I've, seen, I've seen that with, with how my dad, because I've seen my dad treat people, you know, he wasn't always doing cancer. He was also doing other things with inflammation, that people were in pain, chronic back pain, just stress, even psychological things, depression. So I've seen people go in there. I mean, I wasn't there when he was kind of taking the intake and doing all the things, but I've seen people go arrive at his clinic for an appointment and then leave and just been mm. completely, you can see it in their expression, Yeah, you know, and, and that's, that's the powerful thing. And I think when patients do come like that, it's, it's one of the most amazing things that you can see that transformation. It's beautiful. I agree.
I'd like to now talk one of the things that really interested me and something that maybe I didn't really look into my, my own home and some of my others. And I think this is really going to be valuable to the community is you always talk about the mold that is already existing in our home. And to me, it, it was so fascinating because honestly, you were the only voice that is really talking about that and still does. So, and, and the connection to how it can really impact our health. So can you elaborate on that a little bit? Because I find it extremely fascinating. Well, you know, I have to thank um, my boyfriend and his chronic illness for kind of shedding light on this for me. Mm. Um, I really um, thought that he was dealing only with candida and others, a couple other hidden infections. I hadn't really, my awareness hadn't been brought to the fact that mold doesn't have to be a life-threatening uh, septic condition. You can have gradients of this where just like candida, you don't have to just have a yeast infection or a systemic life-threatening infection. You can have a gradient or a bit of yeast that shouldn't be there that's opportunistic systemically, although it's not threatening your life at the time. Right. Um, when I, in medicine, that's what we were trained. You know, it's black and white. You can't have, you know, adrenal dysfunction. You have Addison's or nothing, right? Correct, correct, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so that's the same thing with these infections. So mold had kind of, uh, we maybe had, I don't know, a couple hours on mold in, in conventional medical school. And so my awareness just was not there. And so I went to actually FDN, Functional Dietary Nutrition, I think something like that. But um, Sounds good. Yeah, yeah I think you got like it. FDN's, <laughs> FDN's Mold Summit and Mold Conference. Hmm. And that's when I realized, oh, he has all these symptoms. I really need to test him for mold. Hmm. And when that came back, I started to wonder, you know, I already knew that our bodies are pretty much born perfect and epigenetically have been changed throughout history based on our environment. So I started to wonder, you know, how many people are sick due to their environment? And I, I think it's most people. <laughs> right. and, so, and so really that put my awareness so much on the dwelling that my patients were living in and, and questions I had never thought about asking before. You know, have you ever had a leak in your house? Have you ever had a toilet overflow, a water heater rupture, mm. a dishwasher leak, anything? Because mold grows in 24 to 48 hours. Wow. And there is a a subset of the population, approximately 20 to 25%, that's thought to be very genetically susceptible to not being able to release mold spores or the mycotoxins, which are volatile organic compounds they release. And if you guys don't know, mycotoxins are used in chemical warfare. So some of the same symptoms that are found from you know, things like uh, agents like nerve gas and things like that can be found from the VOCs released from mold. Wow. So yeah. So, you know, things like... Um, depersonalization and not knowing who you are, where you are, but feeling very confused, brain fog, swelling, all these almost nerve pain, gastritis, vertigo, all these weird symptoms that make you feel disoriented, which are linked to things like chemical agents come from mold. So people experience these symptoms if they're in a sick home that's growing mold that can be hidden behind the walls. Wow, that is so powerful. What are some things that, that people can do? Because I imagine when people hear this, it is going to kind of get the radars functioning. So what are some things that people can do? Or is there people that they can reach out to? So there's a, there's a few um, experts out there. I, I do have to say, I would stress, if you do think you have mold in your house, first of all, don't freak out. Mm -hmm. Second of all, find someone who really knows what they're doing because there are a lot of scam artists out there and there are a lot of home renovation companies who don't even know that mold is the problem. Hmm. they're not trying to pull one over on you necessarily, but they just, their awareness was, is not there. Like mine wasn't. Right. And, and everyone learns on their own time frame. So, so really you need to find someone who understands how toxic mold can be for the brain and the body. 
And when you find someone who you call up and they say, oh yeah, totally, we know, we do that, you, that's the person you, you want to go with. Gotcha. Um, and so these people really, if they come in, they, they use moisture readers, they, they look for bubbles on the wall, they look for boards that are pulled up, they have all these different ways they can look for different areas in your house. You know, if you have a vent in the bathroom, where does that go? Does it go out a window or is it mm. venting up to your attic? where you have a mold sandwich, <laughs> right? <laughs> right yeah. All these little tricks of the trade that people know. And, and like I said, chances are the mold isn't going to be blatant on the walls for you to see. It's going to be hidden behind baseboards and things. So you don't even know that it's causing a problem. So you need a real investigator. I really feel for people. Let me just put it out there. I'm, I'm very sympathetic to people who find mold in their house, especially if they love their home. Right. It's really hard to renovate a home if you're super, super, super sensitive and sick especially mm. so even if people are really great and, and certified, it's just really mold is difficult. The spores are get into anything porous. Wow. So furniture, clothes, beds, mattresses really need to be tended to if someone is very sensitive and you have to rip out all the baseboards, all the floors, anything like that to replace them. And that sometimes is worth as much time and money as it, it might take for, right. for people and right. then you're talking about uprooting people's lives and they're having to throw away things that they care about because they're porous and attract mycotoxin spores. So it's a really hard job sometimes for me to tell people these things. Of course, the key here is avoidance. Right. I can get people maybe, depending on how sensitive they are, somewhat stabilized, even if they're in the mold, depending on, again, who they are and how bad it is. Other times, I can't get them better at all if they're sensitive until they're completely out of the mold. And it's very hard to do that. That's the hardest part of my job. Once I've got them out of the exposure, things tend to get somewhat easier because then I, the steps are very simple for me. I don't have to become an investigator anymore to find out if there's still an exposure. I know there's not. And my job remains with opening people's drainage pathways so they can release what's making them sick and bring their body back to homeostasis. And then making sure we keep those drainage pathways open because I'm a firm believer that if your bowels, bile, kidneys, sweat pathways, lymph pathways, breath pathways are all open and working in a concerted effort, your body can release the exposures that you come in contact with on a daily basis. Would you say that if people are experiencing those symptoms that they should also consider mold? Like, Would that be the starting point to kind of do that self-diagnosis before calling an expert? You know, for sure. There had definitely been patients I would have bet many uh, that they had elevated levels of mycotoxins and I get their mycotoxin test back and that's not the case. So mm. sometimes there are definite pathogens, just biotoxin illness in general. These can be from endotoxins from lipopolysaccharide, gram-negative bacterial cell walls that do this, so bacteria. You can also have certain candida can almost resemble mold or run with mold. And then even tick-associated illnesses or parasites often can present a problem Many of these things run together as frenemies in some sort mm. of uh, almost like a toxic soup that builds up until one day it takes over a person's immune system. So it's, it's almost like you have to chip away and see what other toxicities are in the body. Usually it's not just mold, right? Mold in general causes symptoms like uh, people have difficulty holding their urine. It inhibits antidiuretic hormone, which is what happens when you drink alcohol. So it's similar to drinking alcohol. You can't hold your pee. <laughs> um, you have a lot of static shocks on your skin at night, a lot of pins and needles sensations, which also can come with things like parasites. Mm. You might have blurry vision when you blink um, to get clear vision, or you might see clear floaters in your eyes, especially if you get hot and you run those suckers out of their hiding places. 
lots of brain fog, lots of weight gain, lots of inflammation. People get vertigo, gastritis. There's so many symptoms involved. So you can see how it's very difficult right. to diagnose someone. So many things cause that. Correct. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't imagine where you would start. That's yeah. That is. I'm assuming that you know some of it is also the experience and intuition. You know, intuition also plays a lot into it too. So yeah, I can kind of see sometimes what I need to ask, and yeah. really, really, the difference lies in the questions you ask. So when you get these symptoms and people are saying yes, these obscure symptoms or vague symptoms that can pinpoint a lot of different things, you need. That's when we start asking about past exposures and histories and how you grew mm. up and what have you seen a bite here and a bullseye rash there and you know, that really helps me when people can, can remember those things. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But that's amazing. I mean, see, like, it's so interesting because it's one of those things that, that my dad was always a proponent. He, he didn't, he doesn't like carpet in his house. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he had, he had carpet completely removed the vents. He even, when he, when he built his, his own house, he, he didn't have any ventilation. So he had in-ground heating. I mean, they're in Seattle, so oh, wow. they don't really need AC. Right, or other, but right. but he he totally refused for the ventilation, the HVAC. He's like, it's just he's much more about that. Hey, let's let's use as much of the common sense, mother nature things as we can to keep ourselves comfortable. Of course, he's not anti AC or HVAC. I mean, that's let's just get get that clear. Right. But, <laughs> but but you know, he does. He was also have allergies, and according to that, and as soon as he got rid of the carpet, really impacted it. And then of course mm -hmm. the, the other things he did. So changes do make a difference. I mean, it's. It's so interesting, Dr. Jess. I always relate, I always kind of discuss with the audience and my friends. I'm like, the body is constantly giving you signals and signs of when you should be going back on the course of homeostasis. It's consistently going towards homeostasis. And they're mm -hmm. subtle sometimes until they do get bigger, i.e. disease. But the subtle ones are the ones that I think we should have the awareness to listen and pivot, you know? Correct, correct. It's a, it's a warning sign from your body. It's very nice. Instead of listening, we'll say, we kind of just stick a piece of tape over the check engine light yeah. driving. We're like, it's okay. It'll be, it'll be okay. Right. Yeah. yeah like, the, like the light's going to go away after the bandit is ripped off, right? Yeah. You just forget about it, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> with everything going on. You know, I mean, I think everyone's lives and the whole world changed come early March, maybe even before that, depending on where you were. And you have been providing great education, great content for the coronavirus. And I also see that, see, I'm looking at from the media has been, there's information, <laughs> but then there's also this extreme scare and this fear. One thing that we don't get from the media, which I would love to touch base on is, okay, we get it. This, this virus is here, it's impacting, it's this, it's doing this, this, and this, here's what you should not do. And you're, you're, people are scared, really scared, but what are some things that yeah. we can do at our homes now that we're confined to it? And you know, a lot of people are lifting the lockdowns, which is good. What are some things that we can do as individuals to begin to, to help our bodies and our minds support the immune system? I don't hear that conversation too much. No, unfortunately, the, the media hasn't been talking about those preventative strategies. And it makes me sad to know that essential businesses like Wendy's and McDonald's, well, I don't know why they're essential, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's just the way society's set up so that people can afford to eat, unfortunately, but we just need a whole societal change on, in that fashion. So first and foremost, what I'm getting at is don't eat inflammatory foods. Right. Um, and you know, it's, it breaks my heart because I have such easy uh, communication with the community because I am active on social media. And so I'll, I'll see people say things like, 
I lost my job. I'm on food stamps. I, mm -hmm. I can't afford organic. Mm -hmm. I, can't, I have to eat sugar and bread because that's all I can feed my family. And it breaks your heart. But to those people out there, I say, you know, I understand organic food is almost twice as expensive. I get it. It's, the system is a mess. It's, a, it's right. a mess. We have to rebuild it. But in the meantime, be really savvy and order yourself some organic seed. And, and it mm. takes a little bit more time and effort, but it's way less money. So usually you have to make, make a toss up between effort and time or money, whatever you right. can, right? So this will take a little more effort and time, but you can plant those even if you live in New York City in a windowsill garden. And, and have a little bit of produce here and there. So you don't just have to have inflammatory foods. And that's really helpful. Really right. helpful. I think it's way more important to get a balanced um, number of phytochemicals and micronutrients from our food rather than just supplements. Um, and I was in the supplement industry, but right. I always, nothing replaces healthy food. So really think about that, guys. Think about buying some organic seeds. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I agree. And, and you know, we're we're also in the supplement industry, but that's why they're called supplements. That's they right. Sub, they, <laughs> yeah. they supplement to the diet that you may not be getting, you know, and that, that's that, right. that you cannot get anywhere. And that's why you're absolutely right. My, my and also, you know, Ayurveda, diet is thy medicine. Food is thy medicine. I so love you're that. absolutely yeah. you're absolutely right about that. But I'm I'm sorry, Dr. Jess, I didn't mean to interrupt your flow. No, no, no. I love that though. You're exactly right. It's medicine. And so that's what I'm getting at. You know, if you need to supplement, you know, lots of people, for example, have a vitamin D genetic mutation where they have to take probably 10,000 units a day just to get it right. to absorb. I right. get it. There are exceptions. So, you know, make sure eating is a good diet, you know, work around it. If you can't afford it, do your best. No one's perfect. Second of all, make sure that you are, you know, this is a time that I would say if you feel like your immune system is vulnerable and you catch colds and illnesses really easily, you do want to make sure that you are probably taking extra things like vitamin C, vitamin D, right. um, vitamin A within reason. All these are really zinc. All these are really important micronutrients that um, if you're afraid and you feel like you're at risk, then it's not a bad idea. Also, I really think it's important, you know, don't really change your, your schedule around if you haven't been used to doing this. It's really important to sweat every day. Our bodies are made to move. So if Love you have that. the ability to move your body, it's a privilege and an honor and so you should be doing so. Um, that really, you know, viruses don't live in heat very well. This right. virus really is a pretty fragile virus. It can be killed by scrubbing and, and heat, supposedly, if you're looking at um, comparing it with other coronaviruses, at least. And then, you know, really, I've had a lot of my patients have autoimmune flares and problems during this time because they're just, their mind is racing. Yep. They're so stressed out. Yep. And it's so counterproductive for health. Um, like I said, I think stress is up to 25% of disease. And so if you can temper that is that is one thing you can control. We can't control what happens in, on earth, but we can control how we react, we react to it. And that's where your control lies, right? So really, this is a great time to reevaluate your life, your mental state, where you're happy, where you're not, and make changes in order out of chaos. That is why I love you and I have you on here because I was honestly going to say, hey, what about the mental component? And then you <laughs> answered it. I mean, that, that, you guys, that just shows kind of, you know, the kind of person that Dr. Jess is and, and how she treats people. It's, there's, there's such a facet like yin and yang and Ayurveda, you know, all the doshas and, and, and everything else that goes with it and, and the, the ebb and flow. And that's absolutely, Dr. Jess, I've seen <laughs> so many people extremely fearful. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I have a very dear family member of mine and, and he's in India and they had a little bit more strict lockdowns. And I can just see how he is operating purely out of fear. That's not oh, his yeah. personality at all. He, it's not his personality. And 
I could see him just completely operating out of fear, completely restricting himself from even social contact. And mm. I'm just thinking, I'm like, how can that be good for your immune system? And, and unfortunately, there's so much more of the programming of the fear than, than what we're talking about here. And that stress and the fear and the anxiety is depleting the immune system. And, and you know, there's studies yes. that show that as well. We're not just t- making stuff up, up here. You know, there, there's studies that prove that. For example, Takotsubu cardiomyopathy, this is a relatively recent diagnosis in, in the history of uh, diagnostic, diagnostic codes, I guess, if you will. It's actually, Takotsubu means hot, Japanese, it's a, it's a, mm. it's a word for, an, or it means octopus, I'm sorry, because it looks like an octopus pot whenever this, uh, the heart does this. The Takotsubu cardiomyopathy is literally heart attack or congestive heart failure brought on by pulmonary edema from the death of a loved one or a super wow. stressor on the body. So if you feel come, people come in with heart attacks and congestive heart failure, and they don't really have a blockage. They don't mm. have a blockage in their coronary artery. And then you talk to them, they say, oh, my son just died, or I got divorced, or something horrible happened in their life. And that's what brought on the stress of the heart attack. So when people tell me that stress doesn't play a role, I always give them that diagnostic example that Western medicine acknowledges. It's so interesting because for sake of time, and I know we kind of have to, but I could mm-hmm. go on a whole hour with you about that because of, a, of <laughs> the experience that I have and what I've seen as well. I couldn't agree with you more. My yeah. dad says this as he's seeing more oncology patients. And, and I think you're going to like this, Dr. Jess. So get this. He says that in his experience, he feels the diagnosis of having cancer, you know, the doctor coming in saying you have it, he says uh, more than half of his patients lose the battle just by hearing the word cancer. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Just yeah. think about that. You Our know? words it's, hold power. Yep. Yep. They hold a vibration. It means something for people. That's right. And he's seen that. And, and some of them could be, you know, it, it's, it's, it's ones that have so much research and backing and people have survived, but that word, that connotation, that emotion attached to it, he, said, he sees it all the time. So he says, a lot of his time is spent just sometimes having to present the research and, and, and the confidence and, and also being like, look, you're going to be okay. I, I know it. nobody likes to hear that, but you're going to be okay. And we're going to work on this together. My mom, she was diagnosed with, with breast cancer as well. And I remember all four of us, me, my wife, my, my dad, and my mom were there. And I was scared out of my mind, but that we had a good doctor. He came in reassuring. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the word cancer was, I know, I still remember she called me and the day she found out she was in tears and crying and, and hysterical. And I was in Florida at that time. She was in Seattle. I mean, I wanted to take a flight the next morning and be with her. You know, I mean, that's just, you're right. Yeah. That's how powerful these things can be. It's, it's so true. And, 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 and people really need to be given hope. That's what I think the new doctors of the new age will do. They'll be using energy medicine yep. and medicine of, of reassurance and hope for a patient. I love that. I absolutely love that. Dr. Jess, it has been an absolute joy. Like I said, I feel like we're just getting started. I am going to need to have you back on. I know <laughs> sure. whenever we need to. I, I, I know the audience is going to provide so much value. We can dive deeper into things. But where can the audience learn more about what you do? Where can they follow you on social? If we could take the time to just to go through that, I would love sure. to have them. Right now, I'm more active on social media because my web- website is in the middle of being built, but it will launch fairly soon, maybe this week, this coming week even. Oh, exciting. Yeah, so it'll be <laughs> drjessmd, so drjessmd.com. And then on social media, it's the same handle on Instagram, Dr. Period, Jess period MD. 
and you guys can catch a lot of information there as far as um, health goes. I, I put a lot of stuff on my stories. I put a lot of things in my posts as well, as well as references. And my site will be no different. I'll probably transition a lot of my education information over there on my website once it's done for people. Awesome. And guys, she keeps it real. I'm telling you, that's what I love about her. She keeps it real. She comes from knowledge, comes also from experience, and she, she does her research. So it's phenomenal, the work she's doing. I mean, it it's just really is. Dr. Jess, as I do with every guest, I purposely don't send you this part of the conversation because it's spontaneous. It's supposed <laughs> to be fun. So these are just some questions I have. I asked a lot of my guests this, but they're more about, okay, hey, we've had a wonderful conversation about the topic, but now let's get to know more of the Dr. Jess and instead of the doctor, just Jessica, you know, and, and kind of, of seeing what's with that. So these are just some rapid round questions that I like, and it's, it's kind of like to make you think on your feet. So here sure. we go, if you okay. don't mind. What is one book that you would love to pass on to your children's children? For some reason, you asked me too fast. It's Joe Dispenza's book, Becoming Supernatural. Yes, I love that book. Absolutely. I think think as the new world opens up that this will be commonplace knowledge as people learn more and more about their intuition and their gifts and their skills and art, not just black and white science. I'm hoping it won't be too much of common sense whenever I need to pass it on to my grandkids because it's something important that I just wasn't taught as a child. And I think it can revolutionize the way people learn and grow in their perspective if given that information as a kid. Absolutely. How powerful yeah. would it be? For me, it's a spe- Seven Spiritual Laws of Success oh. by, by, by Deepak. I couldn't even yes. imagine what my life would have been if I would have had that maybe at fourth or fifth grade required, right. required reading. Yes. Can you imagine that? Like required reading and then you come and discuss. You discuss every chapter, maybe one chapter a week until you get the thoughts and, and you get the concepts. I mean, that's, it's, mm. it's, I mean, my, I mean, my friend who's in education, we discuss this all the time, but I love it. I love that book by Joe Dispenza as well. What are three things that you're grateful for every day? My health. I literally think my gut bacteria every day. Cause it's <laughs> system. Absolutely. Um, so my body really is a tank this time. So also feel yeah. good. That's where you also feel good too, yeah. right? The emotions as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful for even the hardships that I've gone yep. through because they made me who I am today. And I'm really grateful for my significant other, Jason, because yes. he's been, despite everything that's happened to me in the last year, which a lot of it was unexpected and not planned and not always great, he has really rebuilt everything from scratch and been my backbone and, and, and strength. So for sure. Jason is a pretty cool guy and nice one when I spoke to him too. So you, you, yeah. have, you definitely have a good support system right there. Very lucky to have him. What is the one quote, Dr. Jess, that you like to live your life by? You can make the most of the world by making the most of yourself. Wow, that is an awesome one. I have not heard that one before. I love that. Do you know who said that one? I don't and I it love it beautiful. so much. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, because if everyone would do that, we would have the world we want. Gosh, that is amazing. Beautiful quote. I'm going to Google that and find it. And I'll tell you who the author is. <laughs> there you go. You can tag me in it online. I'll prom- yeah. it'll be a promotion for this podcast. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Of course. <laughs> What's the reason that you jump out of bed every morning or try to? 
<laughs> I really think it's to change the world. I'm really driven that way. I just see, I really love humans despite everything. And I just see that they can choose better. I just see that they, if they give, are given truthful and authentic information, we are naive. We believe everything we're told it's because we're innocent and that they can choose better if given safe environment. I swear. I <laughs> and so I really get up and want to have a better world. If, if humans feel safe and protected and are given truthful information, they really are good people deep down. I and I think it. we can have it different. We can. <laughs> Last question, a little easier. Not so, not so. <laughs> favorite vacation spot and why? I had the most connection in Peru. I love India too. It was a toss up there. I loved India too. Um, but I think Peru, I cried when I saw Machu Picchu. I went there by myself. I kind of just did what I wanted and explored what I wanted. And I had a really powerful connection. I can't fully talk about on here to the earth there and some of the intuitions and meditations I had. So I think I would say probably Peru to reset for me. That is so beautiful. Dr. Jess, I cannot thank you enough from the bottom of my heart for coming here and just discussing so many things that I truly feel that our community is going to find a value. Like I said, I think we're going to have to have you back on and just talk deeper about other things. Just want to say thank you so much. Of course. No, I'm honored. Thank you for having me on. I'd be happy to come back, of course. Thank you, Dr. Jess. You take care. And once again, everybody, enjoy the rest of your guys' time. Thank you for listening and enjoying another episode of the Balance Being Podcast with Dr. Jessica Petros. We hope this episode helped make your life simple. It would mean the absolute world to us if you share, subscribe, and let others know about the work we do here. Thank you. And join us next week on the Balanced Being Podcast with Guni Sodi.